components in being able to achieve success. And one is that you need to be willing to take a risk. So let's take a look at this. I want to achieve success. You've got to be willing to take a risk. Let's get into the Word of God here in just a moment. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to look at verses 24 and 20 through 28. But before I get there, I want to tell you a little bit about some things. Why is it that when we look at success, that one person hesitates and he feels inferior... And another one is busy making mistakes, but then they become superior. Because every, every area in our life, we look at it, and even in, I was looking in the history of the United States of America, and we have an era of great explorers. There are great explorers or great people in America who are willing to face danger, and they're willing to break new ground, say new ground, and they're willing to discover new worlds. So, you know, there are Americans like uh, the pioneers of Columbus. He was willing to break out and find and discover a new world. How many of you realize that the concept at the time of Christopher Columbus that the world was square? Now, how many of us would laugh about that and think, oh, them so silly? But they thought you could literally sail off the face of the earth because the earth was square. How about, how about Crockett or Lewis and Clark? I was thinking even about Abraham Lincoln and how he, he conquered some new frontiers when it came to slavery. And we're talking about Americans, but you can also talk about those in the world, Wilberforce, who made a big difference in slavery itself. How about Armstrong, who was able to walk on the moon? How about JFK, who was able to shift some things when it was concerning racism? How about Martin Luther King, and he was one that was able to stand and be able to have people not have separate bathrooms. Come on, somebody. And for us to be able to be created equal, somebody say equal. Now, the fuel that makes it possible for people like them to be able to, well, discover new territory, to walk in new territory, to be able to break into different areas is something they were willing to do and they were willing to take a risk. Say risk. And they were willing to take a risk. So, so taking a risk, you know, and risk is, it's kind of a funny thing. Risk is very subjective. You might be able to, how many of you would be willing to jump off a bridge and bungee jump? Can I see any hands? Okay, we got it. Look around, look around. I want to see those are willing to take a risk. Okay, you can put your hands back down. How many of you would be willing to tell me today that you'd be able to stand up in front of 100,000 people and speak? Anybody willing to take that risk? Okay, look around. Got a few other people willing to take that risk. So we got about the same amount of people willing to take that risk at all. How many of you are willing to take no risk on either one of them? Can I see your hands? Okay, there's a few of you that are like, yeah, that's me. I am not going to take a risk. You're not going to get me to bungee jump. A few years ago, we, we, uh, I, I viewed some Super Bowl material, and they had this one commercial. 
and they were, they were, you were to take, you know, when they showed a different commercial, you were to take that commercial out and show another commercial, and it had this guy, I couldn't find the commercial, so I apologize for you, it had this guy, and they showed, showed him, he was a pretty contemporary kind of guy, and he, he took the bungee cord, and he put it to his legs, and, and it showed him right at the edge of the bridge, and he looks over the bridge, and, and he jumps, and all of a sudden you hear this, and you see the end of the bungee cord, and it's not attached to anything. And it says, got Jesus? <laughs> Obviously, he was willing to take a risk. But what is it that we see when people can achieve something and they're willing to take a risk? And I, and I want us to look at some things today because how do we judge whether some activity is worth the risk or not? How do we judge whether some activity is worth taking the risk? Is it based on fear? If you're afraid to do it, then maybe you should take the risk. I don't think it's judged on that. Is it judged on maybe success? Could it be the possibility of success? If I can be successful at this, then I should take a risk. How many of you know that when ivory soap was made, it was actually made by a mistake? They, they took the risk and they began to put these ingredients together and they had this whipping, you know, like a mixer, ladies, you know what I'm talking about, and they would whip it. And see, now, ivory is what? 99% pure, right? So, so what they ended up doing is they put it in there and the person actually forgot about it. The person that was supposed to be overseeing it actually forgot about it and it whipped for a longer period of time you ever put a bar of soap in the tub what's it do it floats so that would actually float and it whipped for a longer period of time and because of a mistake they came out with the ivory soap that we know of today so mistakes can actually lead into a success. There are times where it leads into a success. So should we base things on the probability of success? I don't think we should base everything on the probability of success. If you were only going to be successful at it, then you wouldn't take the risk. And nobody would take the risk, and God wants us, I believe, to take the risk. Risk must be evaluated not by fear that it generates in you, And not evaluated by the probability of success, but I believe that it needs to be evaluated by the value of the goal. Say value. The value of the goal. If I take the risk, is the risk that where I go through, is it as great as the value of the goal? Because when we look at things, you will determine whether or not you'll take the risk on the value of the goal. If the value is greater than the risk, then guess what? Chances are we're going to go ahead and take that risk. Are you with me? But there's a lot of times where the risk may even be greater that we know of at that time, and the value might increase as time goes on. So when Thomas Edison was inventing the light bulb and he had finished his thousandth experiment and blew up his, his, his warehouse that he was doing experiments in, they asked Thomas Edison, they said, what are you going to do because you failed over a thousand times? And he says, that was just an experiment. I'm going to build a warehouse and continue my experiments. And now, guess what? 
Every single one of us are affected by what Thomas Edison took the risk to do, and that was to create the light bulb. Anybody affected in their lives? Raise your hand if you're affected by the light bulb. Look around. Look around. There's everybody. Okay. Everybody's affected by the light bulb. So we need to continue to to take those risks that that we have in front of us. So I want us to look at a, a guy that has taken some risks. I want to tell you about someone who pushed the envelope of risk in order to achieve the goals that you and I actually are operating and living in the freedom that we can have even today. There were some goals that were valuable to this person, and he continued to push the envelope of risk in order to achieve the goals. Anybody want to know who that is? Turn to your neighbor and say, who is that? Somebody, somebody may, may know. I want to talk about the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 13 and 14, if you get the opportunity, don't turn there now, but I want you to read it. You have an assignment for this week? Read Acts chapter 13 and 14. Read Acts chapter what? 13 and 14. Read it, and you're going to see the Apostle Paul. He went on three missionary journeys. And in every missionary journey, he had to take risks. He, he, he planted churches and, and went to Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby in his first missionary journey. In the second missionary journey, he went to Philippi, Thessalonica. He went to Berea. He went to Corinth. And we know that he established churches and, and, and in these areas. He went to Ephesus in his third missionary journey. And you can read in Revelation six other churches that were actually put together and brought forth because of Paul's missionary journey. Paul took a risk, and he evaluated the value of that risk. He evaluated the value of the goal. If I go there, and I do these things, and I bring forth the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the power and the authority that we can begin to operate in, that we don't have to operate in this any longer, we can operate in this, then then he had a great risk. Say great risk. So why don't people take risks? Why are we afraid to take a risk? Why are we afraid to maybe step out of the boat? How many of you know Peter took a risk, didn't he? He stepped out of the boat. He, he was able to take a risk when he stepped out. He was only one of the 12 disciples that was able to say, I walked on water. All the rest of them were fearful. So the reality is everything in life is risky. Everything in life is risky. I want, I want you to show. I'm going to back this up with some statistics. So if you want to avoid all risk, if you're a person that just wants to play it safe and avoid all risk, then don't do any of the following. Number one, don't ride in an automobile because they cause 20% of fatal accidents. Number two, don't travel by air, rail, or water. 16% of all accidents happen there. Number three, if you're a person, don't, don't do this. Don't walk in the street. Because 15% of all accidents occur, occur walking in the street. So I guess you don't want to get an automobile. You don't want to get in a plane. You don't want, want to go by a boat. You don't want to get on a train. And, and if you're really concerned about risk, don't stay home. 17% of all accidents take place in the home. 
But you're in church today, and there's less than 1% that you'll have an accident in church. Come on, somebody. So you're in a a very risk-free place today. So you're comfortable today, probably more comfortable. Those of you that don't want to take a risk, you're more comfortable here than you are at home. Can I get an amen? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to look at some scriptures, and I want you to realize what's taken place. Let me bring you up to date as we, as we look at 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote a letter to the church of Corinth. There were some things taking place there. The church was kind of a little wacky. The church was really, uh, really doing great things for God. The church was expanding. It was growing. There were things taking place. And how many of you know with growth, sometimes there's a mess with growth? So the church was doing some different things. People were experiencing a freedom that they had in Christ that they had not experienced under the law. And then they were saying, okay, there were some different things happening. So in other words, can I do this and still do this and still do that and still do that? There was one guy that was actually having a relationship with his father's wife. That's not what God wants. And Paul addressed it. There were all sorts of things that Paul addressed in, in, first, in the first letter to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians, and he was hard on them. I'm telling you, Paul was hard on them. You read that in 1 Corinthians, he was really hard on the church. Come on, somebody. So then he was coming back with this second letter that he wrote to the church of Corinth, and he was kind of smoothing things out. He was kind of saying, you know, I was hard on you, but he was encouraging them. He was edifying them. He was lifting them up. He was giving them strength. He was giving them encouragement. There was a lot of things that were going on. There was a group of people that were coming against Paul, and they were coming against Paul's authority. Say authority. And Paul was defending his authority. And you can, you can pick that up in, 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 in uh, chapter 13, I think, uh, and and he began to start looking at some things. I'm sorry, it was actually in chapter... Let me go back here. and got a little too far ahead of myself. Um, it was in chapter 11. And you can see Paul, they were trying to make a formation of another gospel. They were trying to say, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that, or you have to do this, and you have to be circumcised, you have to do all these different things in order to be with Christ. And they were coming against Paul, they were coming against his authority. And Paul himself, he began to begin to defend himself. How many of you know it's kind of natural to defend yourself? He began to defend him, and he was like, hey, y'all are being misled. The, 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 the issue that Paul was dealing with was people were saying that Christ had not resurrected, that there was no resurrection of Christ. So we, he began to deal with those issues and say, look, that, that's not true. And they came against Paul, and they said, oh, you just want people to follow Paul. They just, you just, Paul just wants you to follow him. Paul just wants you to be a part of him. He's looking for money or fame or whatever it might be. And I'm using modern-day terminology. But Paul began to start really going after them. And he began to start laying down the law and saying, look, I did this, and I've done 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 this, and I did this, and I did that, and I, I, I preached the gospel to you, and I didn't ask for anything. You didn't give me any money. Macedonian church gave me the money, so don't start bringing finances up as an issue. And he began to start lining things out. And he says, look, he was defending himself. And in verse 
22, in chapter 11, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? He says, If I, I speak as, as if insane, I more so in far more labors and in far more imprisonments and in far more beaten times without number, often in danger, often in danger of death. Paul was like, They didn't do all this stuff for you, church. I did all these things for you. I was in danger. I was beaten. I was taking all these things. And it was so I could come and preach the good news to you. So we're up to the point where I want us to read this scripture. I want us to look at it. Paul has laid it down and he says, this is what has taken place. In other words, he was saying, church, they haven't gone through the risks that I've gone through. They haven't said the things or done the things or gone to the places that I've done or had to come through where I had to come through in order to bring you to the place where I could set you on the solid rock of Christ and be able to minister to you. They haven't done these things and yet you're willing to follow them, although they don't even know who you are. Hello? So let's look at verses. Where did I start? 24. Let's look, read 24 through 28. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. Let's, let's pause right there. Tim, could you do me a favor and just bring that back up? So five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes. There was a, there was a Jewish law that when they were flogging somebody, that they were to give them 40 lashes. And in that law, they would usually give them less, or they thought they would give them less, usually 39, usually between 18 and 39, but usually about 39, because they were concerned that if they gave them over 40 lashes, that they would break the law. So what they would do is that they would bring it back and only give them 39 just in case the person that was administering the lash beating, <laughs> the, the ropes, the bones, had miscounted. So they gave him 39. Who else received 39 lashes? Who else? Jesus, Jesus received 39 lashes himself. So, he, you know, I don't know about you, but when they would give the lashes, the, anybody seen the movie The Passion of Christ? If, if you haven't seen that, see that. When they actually bound Jesus to this deal and made him kind of stoop over and, and expose his back, that is an accurate, very, very accurate way in which they would, would give the 39 lashes. It was very, very biblical in a lot of the things that they did in that movie. So Paul had the same thing happen to him that happened to Christ. He says, actually, it happened to Christ how many times? Just once. And it happened to Paul how many times? Five times, y'all. I, I, after one time, 
When things happen to us, we aren't willing to do the risk. We aren't willing to step out and take the risk. It just happens to us once, and then we retreat back to our homes. We retreat back to our safe place. And we say, oh, pastor, let's call pastor on the phone. It's really difficult. They made fun of me today. (laughs) Right? I've been there too, brothers and sisters. I have been there too. I remember the first time, man, this guy said something about me and my religion and my, my belief in Christ. And I was, I, I was like, I can't believe he made fun of me. They're supposed to love me. Everybody's supposed to love me because now I've got this love of God. They love me. No, no, they whooped me and they beat me and they made fun of me. And Paul was in the same place. He said five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes. How many of you would have quit then? Seriously. Y'all, y'all would have probably quit behind. Okay, how many after one last beating would quit? All right, there we go. And I, I looked around and no, everybody was not raising their hand. And I'm thinking, okay, because y'all were really thinking, I wouldn't have got to five. After three, I would have quit. After four, I'm done, baby. I'm, I'm going to take my marbles and go home. I'm not going to play this game. Are you with me? But five times he went through that. Three times he was beaten with rods. Man. Can you imagine going through that? I don't know, but my mom had a, her rod was a yardstick. And, and it wasn't them flimsy ones. It didn't bend like them sums I get. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I got a hold of a yardstick one time. I could twist it and bend it. I was like, this is not mom's rod. Mom's rod was, you know, at least a quarter to a half inch thick. And the thing about it is, Shorty, it was three foot long. So when I would go to run, she could reach that thing out and nail me. She had a three-foot extension on her arm. That was mom's rod. Now, maybe you didn't go through the rod, but the, it's the rod that, you know, it'll bring correction. The rod brings correction. All I know is that I got to run really fast, Ricky, because I know I mean, there was a time when my brother and I, we were, we were having a little dispute in the living room, and the living room had a door on each end and a door on the other end that went outside, and we heard the magnet of the closet go click click and we knew we were in there duking it out and we heard that click click and both of us were gone Poof. I was out the front door my brother was out the side door my mom came around and there was nobody in the living room she looked up at me all she saw the back of my head I was running I was fast I still am pretty fast especially when somebody coming after me with a rod amen but Paul endured it not once Paul endured it not twice but he endured it three times. And he, then he goes on and he says that he was, he was stoned. I'm telling you, they would use stoning to kill believers. Paul himself was there at the stoning of Stephen. He was there and they would literally throw rocks at people come on somebody, and it would hit and rip flesh from your, from your body. They would literally kill people by just throwing rocks and stone them to death. Now, obviously, they must have either run out of rocks or something because Paul didn't die. So he was stoned. He was three times. He was shipwrecked. How many of you like lake water? <laughs> some of you are like, there's some stuff in that lake water. Well, can you imagine it in the ocean? Mediterranean Sea, can you imagine what was, what was in there? It was like three times he was shipwrecked. He was shipwrecked in the Atlantic, and, and it was like, wait a minute. I cannot believe that, that not only but he was shipwrecked, but a night and day he had to spend in the deep. I mean, he was out there floating in the water for his life. Just because 
he was going to do what God wanted him to do, and there was a risk. And that risk was, whether it was beaten, whether it was stoned, whether it was beaten with a rod, lashes, being, being thrown out of the boat. He says, I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers. I'm telling you, Paul was a man's man. He was a man's man. He liked to be in the outback, eh? <laughs> he probably wrestled crocodiles. I eh? ain't got there and they got the roots of croc and I jumped on his back and I turned him around and I opened up his jaws and I said, you received the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, he was a man's man. I mean, rivers and dangers and robbers. I mean, you know, they were thieves. There was people... You know, robbing him, taking his money, taking whatever was there, taking, taking his sandals, taking his coat. I'm going to get that. It's the only thing I got, man. Don't take it from me, man. Come on, be serious. I bet you Paul would duke it out with him. He was dangerous from countrymen, dangerous from Gentiles. Because he was a Jew, because he was... A Roman educated as a very, uh, a, a Roman man educated. He was a Roman citizen, but he was Jewish, but he was educated by Gamaliel. And he was a very educated man, so he was smart, so he obviously could negotiate and talk. He had dangers in wilderness. How many of you are afraid to spend the night out in the wilderness? Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> you won't even take that risk. <laughs> But yet he was willing to do it to get where God wanted him to be because he saw the value in being able to take the good news to those that needed it. So he was dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, and dangers among false brethren. But that's not all. Say, that's not all. Go ahead, go ahead, Tim. Let's, let's read what's rest, 27 through 28, I think. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. He says, I've been in labor, hardship, sleepless nights. You ever spent the night not being able to sleep? And we worry about this, or we're concerned about that, or... Maybe we had too much caffeine, ate too much pizza, I don't, you know, I don't know. But I think we've all been there. We've all had nights that we weren't unable to go to sleep. What happened the next morning? Did you feel rested or did you feel tired? How many of you felt rested? How many of you felt tired? Yeah, it's like, man, I didn't get my sleep like I was supposed to. And then when you're tired, you get agitated. And then when you're agitated, you get mean. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, he's not talking about you. Yeah, I'm not talking about you. You know, but you get mean. I mean, there's times where, you know, can you imagine? He, he's gone through this times where he's, he, he's been without sleep. Anybody been hungry? Anybody been thirsty? Often without food. In cold and exposure. I wonder if you would have come to church today if we didn't have an air conditioner. In Africa, we're going to see people that will walk five hours to get to the village to hear the word of God. And if we don't have our leather seats in our cars, 
and our Java, a little drive through at McDonald's or Starbucks. We just don't know if we can go. Hello? I'm not trying to bring condemnation on you. I'm just trying to tell you to think about it. I mean, what you go through and what Paul went through, there is no comparison. But yet, we're not willing to take the risk of something that has great value. We're not willing to step out and do what God's wanting us to do. So he says he'd been cold and exposure. He says, apart from all the stuff on the outside, I'm dealing with the churches because I want them to be everything that God has for them. I'm dealing with the churches that are dealing with sin and issues and transgressions and all these other things. Lack of faithfulness, whatever it might be. Paul says, I got all this stuff coming on the external. Are you with me? And then he deals with the internal. He says, man, who's weak without me being weak? In other words, when you're weak, I'm weak. So the church of Corinth, he's saying, when you guys are weak, I'm weak. When you guys are strong, I'm strong. Come on, somebody. He said, who was led into sin without my intense concern? You don't think it matters to me? It does matter to me. You don't think it hurts me? Yeah, it hurts me. When we do the things that are not pleasing to God, yes, I'm concerned about that. I guess I know how Paul feels. Because of the times that we've wept, the times that we've cried, the times that we've said, oh God, and there's times we've wanted to quit There's times we've wanted to stop. There's times we've wanted to do everything. And we began to look at whether or not the risk was worth the value. And I'm here to tell you today that the risk is worth the value of you growing in the things of God. Everything in life brings risks. Everything in life brings risk. Is it true that you may risk some things and fail in areas and try something again or just quit altogether? Sure. We've tried things over and over. But you know what? I risk failure if I stand still and don't do anything. I would rather be one that aimed high and hit it halfway than to aim low and hit it all. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's about risk. And some people are uncomfortable. Some people are uncomfortable with small groups. Some people are uncomfortable with life groups. Some people are uncomfortable with the youth center that we have the vision for. Some people are uncomfortable with the kingdom house that we have the vision for. You know why? They don't want to take a risk. Or maybe they think it's all about them, and it's really not. It's all about others. It's about somebody else. So what is it that makes people back away from risks? What is it that, 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 are, that are traps maybe that are out there that you may not risk something that you feel like may be better to risk to bring the value that God has? I mean, if risk has such a great potential for rewards, then why don't people embrace it as a friend? 
Why aren't we willing to just risk it all? Come on, somebody. Let me give you six things today. Some traps that keep you from entering into an area of success in your life that people tend to fall into and they don't take the risk. Y'all want this? You want to have success, you want to achieve in some areas in your life, and not just some areas, I want you to achieve in all areas. I, again, I'd rather aim high and hit it halfway than to say, okay, give me just one area and I'll get it, and I got it, and I, I, I finished it, I did one. No, no, no. Yeah, because you aim down here instead of aiming up here. Number one, the, the number one trap that you can run into that people stop or, or are afraid to take risk is embarrassment embarrassment I mean the embarrassment trap let's be real today deep down nobody wants to fail deep down nobody wants to look bad and if you do it and you look bad then you're going to be embarrassed so you don't take a risk or if I take my risk, I may fall flat on my face and I might embarrass myself. So what? Get over it. Get back up. Paul took a risk. You think he might have felt embarrassed at times that he got beaten five times. Hello? All I know is that a little progress is better than no progress at all. A little movement right now is better than no movement at all. So embarrassment, say embarrassment. Okay, the second thing, the second thing that may stop you from taking a risk is rationalization. Rationalization. You can begin to rationalize some things. You know, the rationalization trap, you second guess everything that you're doing. Boy, I... I don't know if I should have done this. And boy, I, I don't know if I should have done that. And boy, I don't know. I kind of heard from God, but I, I think I heard from God, but maybe I heard from God or maybe I didn't hear from God. And you begin to rationalize some things. They second, people these, that, that deal with this, they second guess everything that they do. They say, maybe, maybe it's important. Maybe it's not important. Ah, it's really not that important. I won't do it. It is important. God wants you to live a, a life worthy of Him. But the truth is that people will wait long enough. Well, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. You know what? When I get things together next week, I'll do it. You know, just give me one more month, preacher. Just one more month, 30 more days, and then I'll do it. Well, you know, if I could get this together in my life, and if I could get this together in my life, and if my kids could get bigger, or, are you with me? I could get my kids through college, then I can do that. <laughs> we rationalize things. We put things off because, well, if I just next week. You know, it's not a good time for me right now. <laughs> Remember, tell your neighbor, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> But we do that. We rationalize things. We're afraid to take the risk. I really don't want to risk it now because it's a bad economy. I don't know if I should give now because it's a bad economy. I don't know if I should step out and start a new business because it's a bad economy. 
I don't know if I should get out of debt because, you know, I'm having trouble, you know, being able to maintain my lifestyle as it is now, so maybe I'll do it later. Come on, somebody. We always rationalize why we won't do it. If you take risks and you fail, you'll have fewer regrets than if you do nothing and fail. If you take a risk and you fail, you will not regret it unless you did nothing and failed. In other words, I was talking to my father one time, and, and, and he, he told me, he said, son, he said, I said, dad, you know, I want to I do this business. I want to start this deal here. And I started a bunch of them. I ain't finished too many of them that I started. And, uh, and he, said, he said, son, he said, I want to tell you something. My dad was like E.F. Hutton. My dad didn't give words of wisdom. My dad didn't tell me a whole lot. My dad lived it. You could watch him. You could see him. He was an honest, forthright man. And he lived his life. But when he spoke and he said, Son, he said, you need to take the risk now. He said, because if you take the risk now, it's different than when you're 65 years old and you take a risk. Hello? So I thought, well, maybe that's good wisdom. But what about those of us that are, that are 65 years old? Maybe Colonel Sanders took a risk and he was over 65 years old before he, before he first sold his first chicken retail. Hello? There are others that were 70 years old before they actually took a risk and now all of a sudden things begin to happen in their lives. So you're not too old to take a risk. This isn't just for the young guys, the young men that my young men can take the risk. I understood what my father was saying because if I failed, I had a greater period of time in my lifespan to make up the deficit of what I failed doing. But I would rather have the opportunity and no regrets when I go home to be with the Lord. Amen? I will have no regrets because I was willing to take the risk than I would have that if I didn't take the risk at all. No regrets. I want to be able to finish the end of my days and be able to say, I have no regrets. So number one is embarrassment. Number two is rationalization. The third thing, the third trap is unrealistic expectations. Say that. It's the unrealistic expectation trap. Many people in life think it's just supposed to be easy. I started a business, brother, and it was hard. (laughs) Yeah. You were better off working for the man. When you worked for the man, he let you off from 8 to 5 or 9 to 6 or whatever it was, and at 6 o'clock, you could get off. But when you start your own business, come on, somebody, you in there, you in there 10 hours if you have to, 12 hours, 14 hours, whatever the startup is to start. So they think it's going to be easy. And they find out that achievement takes effort, and they give up. But success takes hard work. Success takes hard work. I've got to be willing to roll up my sleeves and say, you know what? We're going to get in there and we're going to work hard at it. There's a Latin proverb that I heard, and it said this. Where there is no wind, row. Where there is no wind, row. In other words, there's no wind, and so you got a sailboat. We've been out sailing before. And there's no wind. Guess what you do? You row. Because it's not going by the wind power. It's going by your power. And that's hard work. 
The other one that I want to give you, number four, is the fairness trap. People tend to fall into this fairness trap. It's fair. It's supposed to be fair. Life's got to be fair. It's not fair. It's not. Guess what? It's not fair. I can't find anything in here that says it's supposed to be fair. God is the just judge. If there's fairness, it's Him. If there's justice, it's Him. So the things in your life that you may think aren't fair, give it to God. Let Him deal with it. Let Him be the judge. Let Him be the one that levels the playing field. Come on, somebody. Many people never learn the fact that it's not fair. It's not fair that I can stand here today in America and there's hungry people in Africa. It's not fair that I've got employment or I can find a job today. 9%, 9.5% unemployment in America. <gasps> it's absolutely not right. Well, Africa's got 85%. And in some areas, 90 and 95%. That's not fair. It's not fair that I was born in America. When those in Africa and India and Cuba, wherever you might be born at may not have the opportunities that I've got just because where they were born. You want to get into fair? Let's match fair if you want to get into fair. But we've got to learn that. If we're going to be and achieve and have success, we've got to understand that things are just not going to be fair. It's not fair that I was... It's just not fair that I was born white and five foot eight... It's not fair. Because I felt I had the skills if I was only about 6'2". I could have signed a contract. Well, back then it would have only been worth $100,000 now there are millions, but it's just not fair. Life isn't fair. It's not going to be fair. Don't get into playing the fair game. Stop whining and go out and make things happen. Let me say that again. Stop whining and go out and make things happen. Joshua's like, oh, we got to enter into promised land and Moses is dead. I believe modern day vernacular God says, hey, get up, stop whining and go and make things happen. Because he told him, he said, get up, go in, and take that promised land. That's what I've given you, so take it. So we just got to say, it's not fair. It's not fair I'm short. It's not fair I'm white. It's not fair I got receding hairlines. It's not fair that my eyes aren't as good as they used to be, but I got to stop whining and get up and go out and make things happen. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's success. I mean, that's success. So we got to deal with the fairness trap. We got embarrassment, rationalization, unrealistic expectation, and then we've got fairness. Another one is timing. Say timing. There is some timing in the Lord that things happen. But sometimes if we wait upon the Lord, the Lord's waiting on us and it never takes place. Some people think that there's a perfect time to do everything, and there isn't a perfect time. Sometimes you just got to start. I mean, we want to be in God's timing, and I do want to be in God's timing, and, but it, the, the truth is, 
We miss it. We miss it. What about the timing of the worship night? I believe it's in the timing of the Lord, but if it's not, then we miss it. We miss it. Do we not do it ever again? Do we forget it? Do we just say that's not it? No, no. Because we're willing to take a risk because we want the value. I see the value in breaking the walls down of the churches so the body of Christ can do what God's called it to do. So we're willing to take a risk. I don't want to wait for all the lights to be green before I leave my home. (laughs) If you had to wait, (laughs) some people are just now getting it. Some of them are going. I don't want to have to say, okay, I'm going to go, (laughs) I'm going to go to church. Now I want this light to be green and that light to be green and everything to be green. And when it's all green, then I'll leave my house. It's going to change, man. And if you got it figured out that that's the way it is and you got to have that timing that way, you'll never do anything. You'll never take a risk. Okay, y'all, y'all doing good? Number six. You ready for number six? Real quick. Inspiration trap. Inspiration. We fall into the inspiration trap. I mean, you don't have to be great to start. You just got to start. I got to be inspired. It's like, Lord, get me inspired. I'm inspired to just not do nothing today. Get me inspired. I got to get inspired to do it. I got to get inspired. You don't have to be great to start. But you do have to start to be great. So get inspired, whatever it takes. You got to get up and do it, whether you're inspired to do it or not. I live for the Lord Jesus Christ whether I'm inspired to do it or not. I try to make right choices. I try to have the wisdom of God every single day whether I feel like that's what I need to be doing or not. I do it whether the inspiration is there or not. Let's look at this one scripture, uh, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. He says, I've labored and I've toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and often gone without food. I've been cold, and Paul's been naked. He's been cold, he's been naked. In other words, he's dealt with the same issues we have. There's times where I've been hungry, there's times where I've gone without food. My wife will tell you, there's times that she'll have to rein me in sometimes because I could just work all day long. I could just go without lunch, I could go without supper. You know, we could go. Virginia and Shelly were, were, were gone to do something and Shelly was shopping and she could just go without food when she's doing that. Come on. <laughs> it's like, I got a vision and I'm going to get it. Eat, eat. What do you mean eat? What's eat? Eat food, food? Uh, we ain't worried about food. Let's, let's, we, got it. we got a place where we're going. So we've got that. And, and some of you guys are the same way. I mean, you guys will get out there and you go after it 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 and you're like, what about lunch? Lunch. Somebody was talking to somebody the other day and, and it was 5.30 and they said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go have lunch. They said, lunch? I said, yeah, I didn't have any lunch. I said, this is my lunch. <laughs> I said, I think while I'm there, I'll eat lunch and supper. Are you taking enough risks? Are you succeeding in everything that you do? And if you're succeeding in everything that you do, then guess what? You're probably not pushing yourself hard enough. Or you're not taking any risks. 
And that means you're just, you're not taking any risks. Because with risks come failure. Or you can look at it as failure. Experiments may be like Thomas Edison looked at it. The road to the next level is always uphill. A lot of us are in the coast mode. We're in the neutral. The road to the next level is uphill. Tell your neighbor that. The road to the next level is uphill. Tell them. You you can't coast there. You can't coast there. So I want to challenge you to take more risks in your relationship with God. What do you mean by that? This morning I was so excited. It was 5.07 and I looked at the clock. And I thought, God, I just, I want to believe you for more. I want to believe you for more. I'm not talking about more finance. I'm not talking about more people. I'm talking about for more of you in me. I want to believe you for that. I want to believe you, God, for more with my relationship with you. You need to be in small groups. You need to be in life groups. Take a risk. Step out. But you know, if I go to a small group, then I'll have to learn something. I'll have to talk to people, and they might know me, and they'll know, understand a little bit more about how I am, and I'm, I'm weird. We're all weird. But they might love you. No, they will love you. They'll step out. You'll step out, and you'll show yourself vulnerable at times, and, and people will come around I want to share an experience in, in the small group that we had last, last time. and We were doing something and we took a mirror and we looked in this mirror according to the word in James and somebody looked in the mirror and they said, I, I don't even see anything. I, and I thought, oh God, this is a risk. This is a great risk to say, what do you see? And then all of a sudden, in the small group, the dynamic of the small group, somebody said, I see this. And somebody said, I see that. And they were all positive things that the person looking in the mirror couldn't see themselves. But we in that group could see the spirit of the living God in that person. And they couldn't see it in themselves. They were willing to take a risk and say, God, I don't even see this. But we saw it. Step out and... Take a risk. Don't let your marriage just be the same. Take the risk and get involved in the small group. Don't let your finances be the same. Take the risk and get into the financial small group. Are you with me? We've got to not let our relationships continue to be the same. Let them be rich. Let them be full. Are you willing to step out and take the risk? Take the risk. I said, God, I want to believe you for the impossible. Say believe. believe. We've got to just believe. We believe him for the impossible. Well, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not tall enough. I don't have enough education. I'm not the right color. I, I don't have, you know, the right skills or abilities. I'm telling you, you've got the skills and abilities that God's gifted you. He's gifted you naturally. He's gifted you spiritually. But take the risk. A lot of us are not willing to step out of the boat and take the risk. If we want to achieve success, if we want to operate in the things of God, I wanna, I'm going to take the risk. I am going to take the risk. Because the value is greater. You 
You need more peace in your life. Take the risk and seek that peace. You need more strength in your life. Take the risk and operate in the strength and the power of God. Believe Him for the impossible. Believe Him for deliverance. Believe Him for healing. Believe Him for strength. Believe Him for power. Believe Him for wisdom. Believe Him for revelation. Believe Him that that He'll speak to you and you will hear Him and you'll walk in the wisdom. And The Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. Ask God to order your steps. Ask God to give you wisdom in the midst of your parenting. How do I parent these kids? I don't even like them. (laughs) Parents, I've been there. We've been there. We love them. We may not like what they do sometimes. But they're different. Man, they're different. You got one of them, you can say, would you go do this? And they're like, yes, be glad to. And you got another one, say, would you go do this? And they say, why? Why don't you do it yourself? I ain't going to do it. I'm busy. You're busy? Yeah. I'm about to get to that 13th level. Nobody knows what I'm talking about, but maybe just me. Amen. Everyone wants to achieve success, but it will not come without risk. Let's move to the next level. Don't listen to those that say you can't do this or you shouldn't do that. It's kind of like the story of the monkeys. Anybody heard the story of the monkeys? I think that there's different variations of this story, but I'm going to tell you the one that I know. University was doing some research. They put these 10 monkeys. They had this tree and put this cluster of bananas in this tree. And they put these 10 monkeys there. And the first monkey started up the tree bill and they squirted him with water. And he backed back down. The next monkey came in and he said, I'm going to get them bananas. He started up that tree and they squirted him with water and he backed back down. The third monkey looked at them bananas. I'm going to get them bananas. He started up the tree. They squirted him with water and he backed back down. The fourth monkey went up the tree. He started heading to them bananas. They squirted him with water and he backed back down. Happened with the fifth one. Happened with the sixth one. Happened with the seventh one. Happened with the eighth, ninth. The tenth one went to go up the tree and, and they squirted him with water and he backed back down. So all the monkeys, there's ten, and they're looking at that tree and they're looking at that cluster of bananas. It's kind of like me looking at a Swiss cake roll. They replaced a monkey with another monkey. That monkey looked at them trees, looked at them other monkeys. He started heading up the tree, and the other monkeys grabbed him and pulled him back. Hello? Didn't squirt him with water anymore. They replaced another monkey with another monkey and brought him in, and that monkey looked at them bananas, and all the other nine, he started heading up the tree, and all the other nine were like, no, 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 don't go up there. So they're all ten sit. They replaced every single monkey. There were 10 monkeys that had never been squirted with water, but they looked at the bananas on that tree, and there were none of them willing to climb that tree to get those bananas. They didn't know why. It's kind of like us. We look at God, and we say, God, I want to be there with my relationship with you. But we start to climb, and somebody grabs our ankle and says, Brother, you better not go there. No, no, I want my marriage to be everything that God wants it to be. No, you better keep her in line, brother. You better keep him down, sister. You better tell him how to cow at the cabbage. You better let him know exactly who the deal is. You start learning about that, you're going to have to love each other. 
You're going to have to give yourself up for each other. You're going to have to respect him. Are you with me? I don't want to be one that just looks. I want to be one that says I can get there. And although I get sprayed with water, I'm going to go back down the tree and look at everybody else, shake that water off, and say I'm going to go back and get them bananas. I'm going to climb that mountain. I'm going to get to that place. That's the where I want to get to in my marriage. That's the way I want to get to in my finances. That's the way I want to get to in my relationships. That's where I want to get to with my life. That's where I want to be able to achieve success because it is worth the climb when I begin to climb and try to get there and I'm not going to let somebody else hold me back, pull me down, tell me we can't transform this community, tell me we can't save this nation in Jesus' name. So I want to achieve success. Well, if you get everybody saved, is it success? I don't know. I don't know. I want them to be saved and transformed. I want them to be living and operating in the kingdom of God, having dominion and taking authority and not letting the drugs and the alcohol and everything else take over them, anger and bitterness and hatred, but yet they rule over that and they say, no, I'm going to put that under my feet. And when the devil comes after them, they run him out and say, I'm not going to let you come in. The prophetic word that came forth was, remember, the spirit of offense was being released this summer. Do not get offended. Remember the prophetic word that the spirit of witchcraft was being released and he was after this generation that's coming up and then all of a sudden we have a woman, a young lady that is pregnant that is now battling for her life and the life of her babies. Coincidence. Is it? Because you're praying. Because you're making a difference. Because God is stirring it in your hearts in the middle of the night or whether it's first thing in the morning that when you got so many of you got that email, you stopped right then and you said, God, do not let the enemy steal the life of this baby. There's a plan. There's a purpose. There's a destiny for Natasha. There's a plan and a purpose and a destiny for that baby. And we are not going to back up. We are going to continue to intercede. You're not taking this generation. This generation belongs to the Lord. This generation will serve the Lord. No matter what it looks like now. But we got to continue to say, hey, we want to encourage you. Don't let somebody tell you you can't climb when you can climb. Don't let somebody say that. Well, no, brother, I tried that. It didn't work for me. Well, if it didn't work for you, doesn't mean that it won't work for me. Have the wisdom of God. Have the revelation of God. And we 